This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Icon family, we are in a time right now where we are struggling with what it means to really love each other, what it means to hear each other, what it means to see each other. And we're struggling so much so that we feel the pressure to find ways to, to prove or to show that we're loving each other. And sometimes those things can be even da- damaging, right? Because in many ways, the best we feel like we can do is to just do an action, a performative action that at least shows that we mean well, while not actually bringing any real transformation. This has been a problem with the church for a really long time when we talk about uh, racial injustice, when we talk about different forms of inequality, and uh, the role that the church should be playing. So what we're going to talk about today, really the question I want to ask, and I want you to be pondering, is what does it look like for love to be more than performative? I grew up in a church uh, where we would practice something that maybe some of you are familiar with uh, called foot washing. And uh, I'll never forget being uh, maybe seven or eight years old in a very, very large church in Detroit. And somehow, I don't know how, but I found myself sitting in a different area than the rest of my family. And this, this church had a tradition where you would wash feet. You would wash the the foot of your neighbor. And uh, whoever you were sitting next to, that's the person uh, whose feet you would wash. And so the the folks, the pastors and the different staff folks, they had brought little basins of water, right? Little bowls of water uh, where people could set their feet in and your job was to wash their feet. I'll never forget uh, being in the situation, the unenviable situation of sitting next to this very, very um, old man that I did not know. And uh, listen, I'm not saying I'm like potophobic. I think that's the fear of feet, but it was a hard it was a hard road to hoe for me to actually start taking this man's feet that feels like barnacles are on them. No shade to anybody who has barnacle feet. Listen, we need to give grace and love and mercy to all of us. But it was really hard. And at the end of the day, I remember as a kid thinking, what was the purpose of this? I didn't know this man. I didn't know anything about his story. I didn't know what his actual needs were. I just found myself doing this performative action that I guess was intended to show that I had humility. It it felt very disconnected. I didn't have the language for it as a child, but as I look back, I can see that we, the church, have been guilty of a lot of performative actions that led to no real transformation. Our story today talks about the origin of that foot washing event, the origin of that tradition for those churches that hold it. I'm not saying the tradition is necessarily bad, but I'm wondering, do we connect back to the original meaning? Do we connect back to the original purpose? What was Jesus communicating when this foot washing event occurred? And what are we supposed to take from it? What are we supposed to do with this foot washing story? What are we supposed to do with this call to wash one another's feet? So with that, I'm going to jump into this text. 
And I, I want to invite you to just open your mind a bit and start asking, because for some of you, this has been a tradition and you, have, and you love it and that's great and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm going to ask you to question, why is that a thing? Why is that something that Jesus does? What is he teaching us? What does it signify? So let's go to John chapter 13 and we'll dig in it and just keep, keep this in mind by way of context. This is, this is the last night of Jesus's life. For those of us who celebrate kind of the holy calendar, this is what people refer to as Holy Thursday or Maundy Thursday. Most folks think this happened on that Thursday evening, this story we're getting ready to give. So another thing you might want to be thinking about is if you know it's your, your last night to live, how are you likely to respond? How are you likely to uh, in interact with those that you love? What might you say? What charges would you give? This is where we find ourselves in John 13. So let's read together. Before the Passover festival, festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterward, you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. And Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Well, one who is bathed, as Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. And this is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and messenger, uh, a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I've chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does, when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Truly, I tell you, Whoever receives anyone I send receives me. And the one who receives me receives him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This text was something that really uh, took me by surprise in some ways because I don't know that I had really dug into this text as much as I had uh, this, this past week. And, and as I think through where we find ourselves as a country and where we find ourselves as a church, it's 
very necessary that we understand what Jesus is getting at in this text. It's not enough to just wash feet if we don't understand how it signifies washed souls. It's not enough for us to know how to perform a certain act if we don't care about transforming the very people, the recipients of the act. And so there's some things here that I feel like we may easily look over. So let's look at the very beginning here. We see already, as we said, Jesus knows that his end is coming. Jesus knows that this is the night that he's going to be betrayed. This is the time that his, his, his end is drawing near. And he's looking at the, the folks that he loves. He's looking at these disciples that he's been leading. And they find themselves in this place, right? This is after all of these things have happened, right? Jesus has already made the religious leaders upset. Many folks who, who, who thought that they had been following God well, Jesus is showing them that they indeed have not because they've not accepted him. He's made some very bold claims about his own divinity. He said some things. He's upset the apple cart, if you will. People are angry or people are following to some degree. People are ready. Many of the folks are incensed. Many of the leaders are incensed, and they're ready to finally take Jesus out. And he knows it. Here he is now with his disciples. They're preparing to eat a meal. And something peculiar happens. As the scripture says, time when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas. That's really important too, because we see that Judas is sitting at the table. People, all of these folks who are around Jesus are going to end up either denying, running away, or betraying him. And Jesus is still there having a meal with them. Jesus is still there showing real love to them. But let's look at what that love looks like. So here he is sitting at this table. Now, by way of context, we have to understand what this must have looked like. This wasn't like maybe our tables right now. You have a table with, you know, really like several chairs around the table and we sit down and we wait for everyone else to be seated and then we eat. That was not how these kind of parties went. First of all, these were tables that were very low to the ground and it was low to the ground because people would sit basically on the floor with maybe some kind of cushiony pillows and they would recline back so that while they're leaning back against kind of the area of the table, they would eat while reclining, while leaning back. They also, their feet would be away from the table because your feet are very dirty. We'll get to that in a minute. Because your feet are dirty, you don't want that anywhere near where the food is. So everyone's kind of reclining back, leaning back, kind of on one elbow, eating and talking. That's where they are right now. This table would have been kind of a U-shaped table. And, what, and the way that the table would work is whoever the host was for the dinner, they would sit at the second to last seat on one of the ends of the table. And so imagine Jesus with these other disciples, uh, likely what, what, what scripture seems to show us is John is on one side of Jesus and Peter is on the other at the very end, right? And so there Jesus is, they're eating, they're celebrating, they're doing whatever. Just imagine, this is kind of uh, likely what we look at as the Last Supper. And it doesn't look like this kind of scene with a bunch of beach boys around a table just relaxing and having their food. This is very different. You've got a table full of Middle Easterners leaning back, eating food, and just celebrating, rejoicing, or whatever it is they're conversing about. And then at the end of the supper, Jesus does something so peculiar, peculiar for a host of a party to do. One of the things we see and I would say that the biggest aspect of love that he shows them, and if you don't remember anything else, know that love, based on what Jesus does here, love, this kind of love, shows humility and hospitality. And they both almost happen 
at the same time. You cannot truly be loving if you are not humble and if you are not hospitable. Now, Jesus is there. This meal has already been done. People are full. They've had their wine. They've had their food. They're, they're relaxed, right? I don't know about you, but when, you, when I eat and I have a really good feel I'm, and I'm leaning back, I'm probably falling asleep. Folks who know me now, as I've gotten north of 40, it doesn't take much. I can be sitting there and be knocked out. I probably would have fallen asleep on Jesus. I like to believe that I wouldn't have, but he would have had to d- d- say something to jar me awake maybe. Who knows? They're eating. They're full. They're relaxed. They're leaning back. And then Jesus gets up, and he, and, he, and he gets up, and he takes his outer garment off. And then he puts on, he takes a towel, and then he begins to grab a basin of water, and he begins to wash their feet. Now, if we just take that story and go, okay, foot washing, let's run and do the same thing, we miss the point. We say this all the time. If you don't understand context, you might run into this problem of taking scripture and creating traditions and rituals that are completely disconnected from the very heart of God. And you might mean well when we do it, right? But we end up just creating performative actions and not actual transformation. So what is Jesus doing? Well, one of the things that we understand is that during those times, folks had pretty dirty feet. And it wasn't just because they had some congenital issue with being, you know, Middle Eastern in the, in, in the ancient years and all of a sudden their feet are bad. It's because they didn't have paved roads. You didn't have paved roads in the Middle East. Many parts of the Middle East still don't have paved roads. And folks would have sandals on. That's how they would walk. That's what they would use to walk anywhere they went. And so it was common for you to have clay, dirt, mud, sand, getting trapped in your sandals, getting attached to your feet. It's hot. People are sweaty and feet get dirty. And so that usually, if you were a host of a party, it was hospitable of a host to make sure that there was a basin of water present so that feet could be washed. It also meant that a good host would have a servant, either they have one or they would hire one, to actually do the washing of the feet. So here's a party where there obviously had not been any foot washing that had occurred, Uh, maybe uh, folks just didn't think twice about it. Okay, guess we don't have a, a servant to wash our feet. We'll just come and eat still. And after the meal, Jesus gets up and he takes on the role of a servant. Jesus, the host, takes on the role of a servant. What does that tell us? Love means that if we find ourselves in a, in an upper position, in a heightened position, whether society confers it upon us or we think it about ourselves. If we find ourselves in a higher position, what real love looks like is to, in many ways, uh, descend, condescend down to the level that you might perceive as lower and take on the role of the lower in order to serve. So here Jesus is humbling himself. He's God in the flesh. He's been their teacher, their rabbi, their leader, their savior. He's been their healer. In some ways, he's been their deliverer. He is someone that they revere and they look up to. And he stops and he says, I am now going to take on the role of a servant. And so here he is with this towel and he starts to go one by one, right? You've got 12 disciples at the table. He's going person one, two, three, four. And he's going to each one, washing their feet, drying it with the towel, washing their feet, drying it with the towel, washing their feet, drying it with the towel. And as he's moving through, you're seeing a a couple of things happen here. You're seeing them being shocked there. They, They can't believe it. He gets to Peter. The last one at the end. And look at how Peter responds. Peter looks at this. He comes to Peter 
And Peter asked him, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. And then Peter said, you will never wash my feet. Now there's something here that is super e easy to pick on Peter without us realizing that most of us, if not all of us, are Peter. I mean, when you really think through Peter's mentality and the way he functions, Peter knows enough truth to be dangerous, but he doesn't have all the gaps filled in. And so when we have a little bit of truth, we can be really dangerous because we either A, feel a little self-conscious because we don't have it all together. So we feel the need to almost perform to prove that we have it together. We feel the need to almost try to convince. Sometimes we'll even say things. We'll be bold and loud in order to almost convince ourselves that, we, that we're right or convince ourselves that we get it. And we'll go to crazy extremes. Peter is one of those extreme kind of characters. He's like, okay, you're my Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to serve you. I'm going to serve you. No, 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 no. You don't serve me. No, let everybody, let the record state, I don't want him serving me because he's a real savior to me. I hope you guys see this. And then Jesus turns the tables after Peter says, no, you will not wash my feet. And why are you doing this? And Jesus is like, well, you don't understand it now, but you will. And we're going to talk about what that looks like in a minute, but you don't understand it now, but you're going to, you're going to understand eventually. Peter's like, no, 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 you will never wash my feet. I won't let it happen. It's weird, right? He's looking at God in the flesh and telling him what he won't do. Now, he's not doing this to be obstinate. He's not doing this to be uh, kind of this, this obtuse character. He's trying to show, that's his way of showing reverence. He's trying to show reverence to go, I revere you too much to let you do what it is that you came here to do. That's really what it is. So, so it's a weird convoluted way of feeling like he's being reverent when really his reverence is a form of even disobedience, which is what we'll do. So, so, so now Jesus is looking at him after uh, Peter makes this bold declaration, you will not wash my feet. And then Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You know, what Jesus is really saying is, Peter, unless I am the one that washes you, your ability, your boldness, your well-being, your good intentions will never cleanse you. No matter what it is that you know, no matter what it is that you've seen, no matter how bold you feel, no matter what declaration you make, no matter how strong you feel, no matter how sincerely you feel, you will never have the ability to cleanse yourself. And if you're trusting in that, you will have no part with me. That is, that is so heavy. Peter's having to hear this and go, he doesn't quite still get it all the way, but he's realizing, okay, Lord, since you say that, since you say I can't have any part, I just want to be with you. So whatever you say, I'll jump to whatever extreme just so that I can be with you. So what does Peter say? He says, okay, Lord, well, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. In other words, fine, if, if you want to cleanse me, don't just cleanse my feet. Don't, don't just cleanse my feet. Clean my whole body. Give me a bath. Cleanse me all the way. Again, this extreme. At first it was like, you will never wash me at all. Now it's, give me a whole bath. <laughs> These are the extremes we're prone to go to, right? Because we're filling in the gaps. We don't have enough. We don't know everything. We don't understand the whole truth. Instead of just waiting for God to reveal what he will reveal, we try to fill in the blanks because we think we're being faithful. But in many ways, we might even be in rebellion and not know it. So Peter listens to this and he says, bathe me, give me, wash me from head to toe. Yeah, don't just do my feet. Do my hands, do my head. And then Jesus says something that we could miss if we don't get it. One who is bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. 
You are clean, but not all of you. Now think about this for a minute. He tells Peter, he says, ultimately he's saying, if you've bathed, if you've been cleansed, you don't need to have your whole body cleansed. You just need your feet clean. Now what does he mean here? Jesus is showing something that they probably won't fully understand until maybe uh, after Pentecost, right? But what Jesus is showing them is if you are mine, if I love you and you've accepted me, you've received me, you believe in me, you see me as Savior, you see me as God in the flesh coming to perfectly live, die, and eventually resurrect for you. When you know that truth, you are cleansed. You are truly clean. Here's the thing, as we walk through life, our feet get dirty. As we walk through life and our sinful decisions and our sinful heart, they start to show, they start to manifest themselves, they start causing issues in our lives. We start realizing whether the way that we feel starts to affect us, the things that we do begins to affect us and other people, the things that we say affect us and other people. This is what dirty feet looks like. We all have dirty feet. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Doesn't matter how long you followed Jesus. Doesn't matter how much scripture that you know. Doesn't matter how many uh, uh, degrees, seminary degrees that you have. Doesn't matter how many good acts that you've done. Doesn't matter how much money that you've given. You are going to accumulate dirt on your feet. As long as you are breathing, as long as you are alive, your feet will be dirty. What that means is that when Jesus saves you, yes, he cleanses us completely. Right? This idea that the body in this metaphor that he's using is really showing the soul is cleansed. Our soul, our, we are cleansed. We are made righteous in him. It doesn't mean that there aren't times where sin still begins to affect and sin still starts to put stains on us. But Jesus promises not only to wash their feet in this moment, Jesus is always washing our feet. When it tells us that he's faithful and just to forgive our sins, He is regularly in the business of washing our feet and forgiving us. And in many ways, the scripture uses a word called sanctification, this idea of being set apart. In many ways, what sanctification means is that Jesus is constantly scrubbing away more of the dirt from our feet. He is constantly on his knees taking the position of a servant in order to uh, wipe away the sin that continually stains us to the point where it no longer stains anymore. So here Jesus is showing this picture saying, Peter, you cannot be made clean on your own. If I don't wash you, you aren't clean. And since I have washed you, what you need now is to just have your feet clean. What it means now is every area of your life that doesn't look like Jesus, he is going to scrub that away. Now, sometimes when there's dirt caked onto your feet, and if it's been there for a while, it can hurt when it's being scrubbed away. It can hurt. If you're going to really do a deep washing, sometimes that can be painful because there are times where we could walk around with certain dirt on our feet that's been caked on in the the heat of the desert. It's baked on. It's almost hardened on. And in order to wash that off, it's going to take some deep scrubbing and it might hurt a little bit. But even though the washing hurts, the washing heals. And there's something beautiful about this picture that Jesus is showing us that he's showing Peter, you're going to need me to continue to wash your feet, but you're going to need to know that you're truly cleansed in me. Peter is uh, probably just dumbfounded as Jesus says this to him, because then he says, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. 
And then when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I've done for you. Y'all, this is why understanding this is important. Some people have taken this text and go, okay, so this is Jesus commending unto us this mandate to just wash each other's feet. That's the story, right? So in order to obey Jesus's words, we need to spend time figuring out how to work in this amazing ceremony so we can be reminded of this great act that Jesus did. Is that the takeaway here? No. The only way that can be your takeaway is if you think that what Jesus is doing is purely performative. If Jesus' action here is just performative, then yes. The goal then is do something that makes you look humble. Do something that makes you look hospitable. But here's what we miss in that. Jesus wasn't just doing this ritualistic ceremony. Jesus wasn't just doing something that we could just remember and do in remembrance of him, right? This was something deeper than that. Let's just be, let's just be completely, let's look at literally what was happening here. There was an actual physical need that these folks had. Their feet were truly dirty. It wasn't symbolic. Their feet were really dirty. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm able to identify where you have deep needs right now. I'm able to identify where you have, maybe even better, I realize where you have the most immediate needs right here and now. And my goal now is to humble myself to take on a role that I shouldn't take, right? Because really what's happening is I'm, I'm taking on a role that is beneath me and I'm going to then perform this activity to meet the needs of the people that really are undeserving. Now let's think about that. Jesus knows, as we said before, that everybody at this table, they're gonna end up running away, hiding, or blatantly denying him, or blatantly betraying him. Be honest. If you're at a table of folks and you know that they will all turn their back on you, are you willing to go above and beyond and do things that are outside of your job description and in many ways beneath your job description for people who are undeserving? Are you willing to actually do that? Because that's what this foot washing is. This isn't just something to be, really be sweet and nice and be reminded of this great act that Jesus did. Jesus says, since I'm your Lord, I'm your master, I'm your teacher, a servant is never greater than his master. If I'm doing it, you should be doing it. And I'm calling you to do it. In other words, love people the way that I've loved you. We'll get to that a little bit later in a few weeks when we start talking about not just the golden rule, but the platinum rule. When he says a new command I give to you, love others as I've loved you. How did Jesus love us? By lowering himself taking on a role that might be beneath him and then giving to people that probably don't deserve it. What does that look like practically? Before we even go further, what does that look like practically for us? As we are sitting here now in America, mourning, we've been talking about it for quite some time, mourning the situation of uh, police brutality and, and what it looks like for those who have harmed disproportionately black and brown people when we talk about what should we be doing then if there are people who are saying, we have needs, we have deep needs, we need to be protected. 
We need our lives to matter and be advocated for at the same level that other lives seem to be advocated for. We need to know that, that our well-being is actually gonna be protected, that our ability to just live will be protected, and that if or when we die, that justice will roll down in that case in the same way it would roll down on the other end. That's a need. In other words, people are saying, our feet are dirty. And it may not even be dirty because we put the dirt on our feet. Maybe society has cast the dirt on our feet. Whatever reason the dirt is there, we are dirty and we need help. And we need you in a higher position to lower yourself and then give of yourself in order for our feet to be made clean. Jesus says, that's how you love people. Now, we run into a big problem because oftentimes what we do we're all prone to this in different ways, but if we're in positions of, of more privilege, it can even have even weightier consequences. What we'll do is we'll say, well, uh, I get the whole the, the, the call to be hospitable and to be humble, but they better deserve it. There was a, a, a popular uh, commentator who made the statement about George Floyd. And in their statement about George Floyd, they said, you know, I'm not going to celebrate this man's life. I'm not going to look at him as a martyr because I can look back in 2007, 2008 when he committed certain crimes. And so I'm not going to lose sleep in the same way. And I'm not going to make him a martyr. I, I, I don't want bad things to happen, but I'm not going to hold him up as like some example of someone that we need to be caring about or crying over to, to that degree. Now, let me just ask you something. In the example that we see in Jesus, does that seem congruent with that type of a reaction? Let me put it this way. If someone is suffering injustice, what is the statute of limitation for your compassion for them? Is there a statute of limitations of compassion? Is there a statute of limitation for, for, for humility? Is there a statute of limitation for hospitality? How long is too long when somebody has done something you think was bad enough to make you not have to care about their life anymore? How long is too long before that goes away? If they've paid their price that you see fit, should you then be able to give real compassion to them? You see, that position, if that's your position, you do not have the love of Christ right now. How do I know that? Because in this story, not only did Jesus know the past history, the past dirt, the past sins of these folks at the table. Jesus knew the future sin, the future dirt of what they were going to do. And he still said, even though by any standard you are undeserving, I am going to lower myself. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you enough to wash your feet and meet your most immediate need. And then, without them even realizing it, eventually I'm going to meet your most desperate, deepest spiritual need. So while it's very real, it's not just symbolic, it is very real, this goal of loving people well, even those that might be undeserving. And then also to be able to connect that to say, not only am I meeting your most immediate needs here, but I'm also going to meet your greatest, deepest spiritual needs. What Jesus is showing us is that love should never just be performative. Love should always be transformative. So how do I love you enough to transform your current situation to something better? Jesus loved everyone at this table. Their current situation was having dirty feet. He said, I love you enough to not only perform a thing so that I can feel good about what I did. 
I love you enough to transform the state of your feet so that you are clean. I love you enough to not only transform the state of your feet, but I'm getting ready to do something that's going to transform the state of your heart. It's going to transform your, your, your spiritual state of being so that when you stand before the judge, you will be rendered a verdict of not guilty, regardless of what your record is on having dirty feet. That's the gospel. So when people sometimes, because of our own pride, because of our own inability or refusal to humble ourselves. We refuse to be hospitable to those that Jesus says we're called to love. This has been the hugest issue with issues of injustice. How do we, how do we wash feet today, y'all? We wash feet now. Listen, we don't need, the reason why foot washing services for me just feels a little bit performative, actually a lot performative, is because you can just go and wash the foot of somebody you don't even know. And they have deep, real needs. You have no idea about it. You're not there for that. You're there to just take part in a nice ritual and feel really good about something that appears to be humble and appears to be hospitable, but that's not what they need. Most of us, I really hope all of us, bathe pretty regularly. Most of us, I hope all of us, have pretty clean feet. I hope that that's the case. And so when we go to someone's home, it will be so weird for me to come to your house and go, hey, you think I could go wash my feet in your sink? That'd be just bizarre. You probably wouldn't let me in. Like, why are you coming to wash your feet at my house? We're here for dinner. As a matter of fact, we do the opposite. We go to people's homes and we take our shoes off because we don't want to make anything dirty in the house, right? So, so you understand, contextually, it just doesn't make sense to let that act itself be how we show humility. It's just historically not something that makes sense now. Contextually, it doesn't make sense now. What does foot washing look like now? We've got to go deeper. We've got to go beyond the performative now. Because it, do it doesn't do the same thing for us now that it did for those disciples. So what does dirty feet look like now? There's no better way for Christians to engage in the washing of the feet of our neighbors than to look at the injustice that our neighbors are dealing with, to look at the injustice that are making our neighbor's feet dirty. And then we say, what part can I play in washing the feet of my neighbor? Now, when you consider that, that means that there are some actions that we need to rethink. I think sometimes in the issue of racial justice, we love doing performative acts. Let me just tell you, there are folks who are exasperated and exhausted by performative love. They're exhausted by it. Don't call me and say, hey, can I come do this great powwow moment with you so that we can uh, give the picture of racial unity. I wanna come and do this act in front of everybody to know that we are racially united. That's not what transformation looks like. It feels good. It creates a nice moment. It does not create a real movement of love. Jesus didn't come to create moments. He came to start a movement. So this means that when we have, uh, when we have things that in, in, in church environments and we'll do a big performative thing, we need to rethink those. There's a really popular event that gets brought up. Usually you hear this in a lot of cities. There'll be a big church, uh, and maybe it's a, a white pastor, and they're going to do this big performative thing to show that they're doing what they need to to humble themselves and battle the ugly devil of racism. And what do they do? They'll invite or have uh, someone who is black, have them come on the stage and begin to wash their feet. It's well-intended. It's meant to convey and confer a sense of humility, a sense of, I see you, 
a sense of, I get that you're going through things and I just want you to know that I love you. But that act alone doesn't do anything to transform the very fact that that person who's getting their foot washed, their feet washed, faces real injustice. And so what are you doing to drive a spoke in the wheel of injustice? That's what foot washing really looks like. I honestly, honestly don't care whether or not you want to wash my feet. I care that you want to clear the path on which my feet travel. That actually makes me go, wow, you're trying to transform my life so that it is on equal footing with yours. I think this is one of the reasons why people, when they see stuff and they go, well, that looks like, that's nice, but I don't really, I don't really want to be with that. I don't really want to mess with that. I don't trust that because that just seems really performative. It seems like it's done more to make the foot washer feel better about themselves than the recipient of the foot washing. Because they usually go, well, that's nice. My feet are clean. Let me go back out to the real world and still face the things that I have to face. Now, not saying that foot washing services are bad. My question is, maybe it's a good starting point to say, hey, I'm going to give a symbol of the real work I'm getting ready to do. That's great. That'd be awesome. I'd be all for, hey, foot washing service. So th and then we're going to now make real commitment to doing real tangible ways of washing our neighbor's feet, specifically in the areas of injustice. Uh, recently, there was uh, an event that made uh, the, the news, and, and a lot of people talked about it. There was a popular pastor uh, in Atlanta who had brought on a, a well-known recording artist and the uh, CEO of this major, major company that we all know and love. And the, the, they were talking about racism, and they were talking about how to deal with racism. And after the pastor had said some things that were uh, very much not the right thing to say, nor were they conveying the things that needed to be conveyed, and they created real angst, and rightfully so created some real issues. And after all that, uh, a lot of people within social media world saw that and made responses and people there were making apologies. But there was another statement made by the CEO, this white CEO. The white CEO goes, listen, um, I think we need to be able to show real humility. I want my white brothers and sisters, my fellow white brothers and sisters to show real humility to our black brothers and sisters. And so I can't think of a better way to show humility than to do this. And he pulls out a scrub brush, something you would use before you're going to shine a shoe. You might clean the shoe off. He says, I bought several of these. I'm going to take this scrub brush. And he walks over to the black recording artist and he gets on his knees and he begins scrubbing off his Jordans, just scrubbing off his shoes. I don't know if they were Jordans, but whatever he's wearing. And he's scrubbing off his shoes. And he's going and he's scrubbing and he's scrubbing and he's going, this is the way that I want to show real humility. I want to be able to show real humility by, by adopting this posture and showing, and I'd love for other people to buy uh, some of these types of brushes and maybe find ways to do the same thing. Now, what is that? It might be well-intended, but it's hugely performative. This isn't the kind of love Jesus called us to. It's interesting, too, that recording artist stopped and said, you know, what would really be nice is some stock in the company. And actually, that is what real economic repair might even look like if you really want to go there. But, but immediately, that was brushed off as tongue-in-cheek. The CEO kind of walks away, ha, ha, ha. Anyway, back to these brushes. Y'all, this is not what real love looks like. Real love says, I want to do more than perform for you. I want to be a part of transforming the very life that God says, that God says is what love looks like for us to live together. The life that was meant to be lived is one that is to be equitable and equal, where folks can thrive, where folks can coexist, but coexist in a way where they're seeking each other's mutual flourishing. 
So if you're not flourishing at the rate that I'm flourishing, we're not saying necessarily that everybody has to have the same thing, but the most basic things in order to survive, the most basic things in order to be able to live, the most basic things to be able to have equal protection, equal provision, and equal punishment, which is truly a biblical definition of justice. In order for those things to be true, some real work has to be done. And so if there's going to be something that's going to be performed, let it be performed with the promise of real transformation. That's what Jesus does here. Now, as we get to the end of this, just know, look at one of the things that Jesus says after that. Because here he has given us this true picture of love that is not performative. He gives us this true picture that's rooted in humility and hospitality and then given to those who don't deserve it, right? That's what real love is. Lowering yourself, going above and beyond what you really should be doing for those who should not deserve it. Or at least you think they shouldn't deserve it. And he does all of this. And then he, he, uh, it's interesting because as he's looking at them, he says, um, not all of you are clean. And I think what's so interesting about that is that Jesus shows even Judas, who's getting ready to betray Jesus, Jesus is still showing him love. Jesus is still showing him and actually trying to bring real justice, if you will, make uh, clearing away the, the dirt from his feet. He's bringing real justice even to Judas. What this shows is that G Judas still has the opportunity to receive this love and even to repent. We don't know. We said this before. We don't know when we get given over to our disobedience and given over to our disbelief. We don't know when that happens, but we know that Jesus continues to show grace, continues to show love, continues to show mercy. It's something really special to know that we serve a Savior that says, regardless of the dirt in your past, the dirt in your present, or the dirt I know is coming in your future, I love you, I am pursuing you, and I am calling you into relationship with me. Now, eventually, if you continue to reject, I'll, I will just give you over to the thing you seem to want most, which is yourself and not me. But I am pursuing you. Now, how do we know that this affected both of them? Later, we're going to see. When he tells Peter, you know, Peter gets bold. We're going to see it later. Peter gets bold, and he's like, you're going to deny me. No, I won't. No, I won't. No, I won't. And eventually, Peter, after he denies, and it happens exactly the way Jesus said, his heart is just broken. You can see what that did to him. He's like, oh, my goodness. The one who washed my feet, the one who lowered himself for me, I rejected him. We've all been there. The one who uh, gave himself for me, I'm now seeing he's getting crucified on my behalf. I rejected him. And it broke him. And it, and it actually led his heart to a place of repentance. We see that. We're going to see it even more. Uh, when you read through the book of Acts and you see Peter's life starting to change and the Holy Spirit begin to change and remind him of who Jesus was. You also see something happen with Judas. Judas does not follow Jesus. We see what happens later. He betrays Jesus, betrays him for a cash prize, and then he ends up being broken over what he's done, ends up taking his own life. What we see is that the way that Jesus loves us, he doesn't just love us and leaves us. He loves us and he leaves us with his very spirit, or if we don't have his spirit, he leaves us with what he has actually demonstrated to be love for us. So either you're following him and you're broken into repenting, or you don't follow him and you're broken into just mourning and utter depression. If we don't understand the way that Jesus truly loves us, we will have no idea how to truly love each other. We won't even understand how to really see ourselves. And so what we need to know more than anything is that our prayer is, Lord, what does it look like to really 
love one another. You've called us to do it. Jesus said, this is what I'm calling. I did this for you. And he said, I did this and I gave you an example. When people say, well, I don't know how to love. How do I help people? How? Listen, I can't tell you how many times I'll be getting it now in these days. I'll get an email or a phone call. Hey, I just want to pick your brain, which is super triggering nowadays. I want to be able to talk to you. I want to be able to figure out how can I be a, a better ally? How can I be someone that really loves? You know, the best way you can do, the best thing you can do to be a good ally, figure out why people's feet are dirty. Do the work to figure out how did people's feet ever get dirty? And then based on whatever my position is, whatever my privilege looks like, whatever my lot in life looks like, how do I take my time, my talent, my treasure and use that in a way to help end the putting of dirt on the feet of those who can't take it off themselves? This is what Jesus did. Those folks couldn't take the dirt off themselves. Spiritually, they couldn't cleanse themselves. This is what we're called to do. And y'all, this is what he does for us. We should take great joy when we look at this story. Because if you're honest, you know that your feet are dirty. If you're honest, you know that there's still areas in your life where there's any area where you still aren't following Jesus or, or, you, or any area where your heart doesn't really look like Jesus, that's an area where you have dirty feet and you know that you cannot cleanse yourself. If you're someone who doesn't really even follow Jesus and you're not quite sure what you think about Jesus, you know one thing you know, you know there's something wrong. We all, there's not a, a, a people group, a religious group in the world that doesn't agree that there's something wrong with us. We know that there's something qu not quite right. All you have to do is look at the, the, the uh, uh, voluminous books that have been written on wars of mankind. We've always had some kind of problem, always had some kind of conflict, always had some kind of a, a war with each other. There's something wrong. We are a people that have dirty feet. And when people have dirty feet and they live next to each other, they make each other dirty. We can't clean ourselves. We need to be cleansed by Jesus. When he cleanses us, he gives us that same heart. He gives us that, that, that same yearning to see our neighbors cleansed, both physically, materially, as well as spiritually. So what is God calling you to do? What does foot washing look like for you? I can't answer that specifically for you. I don't know where you are. I don't know the state of your heart. I don't know the state of your community. I don't know the state of your relationships. But maybe take this time to do some real deep digging, to really start plumb the depths of your own heart and say, Lord, show me where I am just, be if I am being loving, show me where I'm merely being performative and not participating in the transformative love that you've shown me and that you promise will deliver me. That's what we're called to. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that in many ways your eternal decree has been made known and made manifest. Jesus, thank you for all the ways that you have shown us and you continue to show us that you came here to do more than perform. You came here to do more than just be a good faith actor. You came here to be indeed our savior. You came indeed to show and inaugur inaugurate a kingdom. And in this kingdom, you have called us to participate Thank you so much for the mandate that you've given us to go and participate in what real transformation looks like. I'm so thankful that when we pray, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What that shows us is that we're not supposed to just wait for heaven. We are called to inaugurate and to see evidences of the kingdom that is in heaven to be manifest on earth. 
So God, show us what it means to be good manifestations of your kingdom love. God, I pray that you would convict us and make us transformative foot washers and not just performative in many ways, self-worshippers. God, we want to do this not for our own glory. We want to do this not so that we can make a good YouTube video. We want to do this not so that we can make good social media posts. Father, we want to make your name famous, and we want to do it by showing your love, by exhibiting your love. God, show us where the feet of our neighbors are dirty. Show us the ways that we might even be complicit, the ways that we have been apathetic, and make us Holy Spirit-infused agents of transformation for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive God's final blessing, the benediction together. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. And wherever you sit, wherever you stand, wherever you are, all of God's people said, amen. God bless you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye. Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.